You're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes. Yes, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Yes, keep clapping. Thank you. I'm clapping for you. Thank you so much. This is going to be a great show. Thank you. Keep clapping. Thank you so much. Welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally... Spike Cohen. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Wednesday, the 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2019. Uh, this is a Muddied Waters Media production. Uh, check us out on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube, on Instagram, on SoundCloud, on Twitter. Check us out on iTunes. We're on something called Stitcher. We're on Google Play, all of the different podcasting apps. Check us out on muddiedwatersoffreedom.com. If you look up for Muddy Waters, anything online, you'll find us. Check us out. Thank you, as always, to Kroger for this delicious, you see that? Purified drinking water that I'm drinking on this and almost every episode of My Fellow Americans, Bulavanaka. The intro and outro music to this and every single episode of My Fellow Americans is by the talented Mr. Uh, Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. On SoundCloud, go to his Bandcamp, buy all of his music. It's going to cost you like $8. You'll be so happy. Uh, shout out to Tehran Turks, his mom and him as always. Guys, my guest tonight uh, is the former chair of the Libertarian Party in Tennessee. He is affectionately referred to as Liberty Clause. You're going to find out uh, soon enough if you don't know why. Uh, and he is one of the most likable guys you'll ever meet. I'm so excited to have him on my show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the show my good friend, Mr. Tom Arnold. Tom, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you, Spike. It's just a pleasure to be here. I'm uh, really loving that you got me on your show tonight. Yeah, I'm real excited. Uh, you are someone that... So, I've had a lot of guests, and I'll tell people, oh, I've got such and sh- such on my show. And without fail, there's always someone who's like, oh, I can't stand that person. Without fa- I don't think there's anyone who exists. If there There is, I, I haven't met, who doesn't, if not love you, at least really, really like you. You are about the most... Uh, uh, most endeared person I, I think I've ever met. Well, I do have a few enemies, and there's some of them on Facebook. So you know, <laughs> I do I do have a block list, and okay. I'm sure there's people on there that have blocked me. You know, so anyway, but that's okay. You know, I can't get along with everybody. I think right. they're the ones that, that they they actually have a fetish about the ashes and switches rather than than uh, you know good good liberty presents for Christmas. You know. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, they're getting they're getting uh, statist coal in their in their stockings. Yeah, it, it must parallel my enemy list because I haven't met any of these people that don't like you. But um, yeah, I am uh, honored to have you on the show. You're an absolute gem of a human being, and I've been looking forward to this all week. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, well, I'm glad to be here. 
Well, thank you. So one of the things that I, oh, by the way, guys, if you are uh, checking this out, be, feel free to comment with any questions or thoughts that you have. And I and Tom will let you know if you are right or wrong. Uh, Tom, one <laughs> of the, uh, one of the, the, the first things that I always ask my, my guests that come on is, um, uh, we know you're a libertarian, so I usually ask them to describe their politics, but we know you're a libertarian. How long would you say that you've been one? And, and would you, what would you say brought you to libertarianism? Have you always been a libertarian? Was there an aha moment or a gradual, uh, you know, evolution over time? Tell, tell us about that. Well, no, I, I, spiked, I spent 40 years in the, in the Republican party. Okay. Um, but, um, libertarianism, uh, I've always, it's always been endeared to me because, but I came through it not through Rothbard or Hayek or Mises or, you know, I came through it through literature. Um, uh, Civil Disobedience by Thoreau, um, oh, Emerson right, okay. in his writings, um, Walt Whitman, you know, resist much, obey little. Um, that's, that's where I, that, that's my educational background. That's uh, my love is literature, and I found libertarianism uh, as a philosophy in the transcendentalist. And uh, because the whole thing is, you know, it's that, uh, the idea that uh, rugged indivi- not just rugged individualism, but individualism uh, to, to, to live your life as you feel free to do. And uh, after being so discouraged with the, what the Republican Party was proliferating in, in is propaganda and trying to say it was principle. Right. I finally just had to leave and uh, you know just uh, come on into the, the Libertarian Party in full. Right. Well, the, so I mean, the Republican Party talks or usually talks a great game. I, there are people like Trump that don't even try to anymore that talk a great game about limiting government and you know individual liberties and freedoms. One of the most uh, uh, popular caucuses in the in the House of Representatives is the House Freedom Caucus. I mean, they talk about freedom and liberty, and yet what they're actually doing doesn't really line up with any of that. So, so you say, so you were in the GOP for, you said 40 years. Yeah. About 40 years. Yeah. So, so when did you, when did you get involved in the libertarian? I I actually got it about 2011. uh, But I, but I actually became a full fledged member in, in I think 12 or 13. So, you know, but uh, anyway, but yeah, my, my, I started out as a, um, uh, as a seven-year-old kid uh, in Nashville in 1964, uh, p- handing out pencils and buttons for Barry Goldwater. So okay. uh, I, I really thought it, he had these big, geeky black glasses, and I had big, geeky black glasses, and right. I thought he was really cool. So, you know, I asked a friend of mine. His dad helped me working for the campaign, so they gave me buttons and pencils, and I went door-to-door and, and handed them out. That's so cool. Well, so, I mean, that's probably about as libertarian as I got at the time. So uh, even if yeah. it wasn't in the libertarian part, well, then the libertarian party didn't exist until 70, 71, 71. So. so, so that was as libertarian. You were at peak libertarianism at seven years old then. Yeah, really, really. Yeah, I was. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that's kind of, I, I don't know a lot about Tennessee. I've been in East Tennessee um, for, a, for my honeymoon or honeymoon. And then also mm-hmm. I went to a camp there when I was a kid. But my understanding of Tennessee is that, I mean, there's, I mean, it's where, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the land of Davy Crockett, right? Yeah, da- David Crockett. David uh, Crockett. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the modern, they modernized him. Walt Disney gave him Davy, and some people called him that, but he always referred to himself as David. But yeah, oh, okay. He's I, one of my, he's, he's, well, that's okay. Everybody makes that mistake. It's not your fault. Right. It's just that you've been commercialized, but he's, Crockett's <laughs> one of them. 
Crockett is one of my heroes and always has been. Um, you know, he's uh, he was an amazing man who, um, you know, he, he said he didn't wear the cuff of uh, Andrew Jackson. He didn't give a damn, you know. And right. uh, when, he, when he was in D.C., you know, um, there was a pension deal. Uh, one of the Revolutionary War veterans' widow wanted to collect a pension. And Crockett stood up in Congress and said no. You know, it wasn't their place to provide pensions to to, to folks like that. And uh, you know, he was uh, he 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 always believed in smaller government and keeping it local and doing what was right for his constituents. And uh, when he happened to cross Andrew Jackson, then you know Jackson made sure that uh, he got beat in an election. Right, right. And I mean, you, if you. One of the people that I would think of if you're when you, you mentioned rugged individualism would be like a David Crockett or something like that. By the way, I'm saying David. Yeah, it's, I'm saying David. No, that's okay. But but Sam Houston too. Sam Houston was yeah. a former governor in Tennessee, and uh, you know he had a, uh, a as they called it a superating wound in his thigh that never would heal up. And uh, the night of his wedding, um, his bride was so uh, uh, shocked by this wound that. Uh, she refused to have any kind of uh, relationship with him, oh, wow. physical relationship. Right. So he ended, he ended up annulling the marriage, and uh, that's when he headed. Well, actually, he headed into the Cherokee territory for a little bit further, and then uh, wound up in um, wound up in Texas. Um, you know, because Houston spent a lot of his time growing up amongst the Cherokee. Right. And uh, you know, because he was drunk, so which you know, I can relate to that too. So you know. That's a good thing. So, I wasn't gonna say it, but um, okay, good. Uh, so, <coughs> excuse me, I was I was a little caught off guard by that, but um, but good. So it's okay. Um, so, uh, oh, and so you have a uh, um road. Your business is you're in road construction, right? Like you do roads, yeah, and, that's I guess, right. Bridges and stuff like that, or well, 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 we do drainage systems. But my dad started out in 1953. He went to. Uh, got out of high school and went to work for a construction company. And by 1967, he formed a partnership. Uh, we moved back to Carthage, Tennessee, which is, uh, uh, is our, our, his hometown and our hometown. And, and um, anyway, he um, bought a rock quarry and had an asphalt plant, a concrete plant, and, and that kind of stuff. And then in the 70s, he started, we, we began to specialize. And so we do... We do drainage systems. We sub work. We occasionally get a, a prime work, but most times it's just subcontracted work. We just our job is to keep the water that forms under the roadways from getting there and giving an outlet to go out where where they won't cause potholes. So it doesn't it doesn't end up um, compromising the the road itself. That's exactly right. Right, right. So so for those watching, uh, when someone asks you, you know, without government, who would build the roads or who would take care of the roads, Tom Arnold will. Tom Arnold and his, exactly. and, and his, and his company it, will, and people like him. Exa exactly right. Uh, people don't understand that, you know, uh, private investiture in the roads uh, was, was one of the first things that happened in this country. Um, you know, wagon roads and trails, um, they weren't government-sponsored. And uh, there's even, I've often heard tell that, you know, the very first toll roads were run by the Cherokee Indians coming into this part of the country. And, of course, of course, 
their their thing was, you know, you pay the toll or you die. You we'll know? kill you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's hey, a toll's a toll. I mean, you know, that's right. That's run it. through one so, of these yeah. tolls real fast and see what the police do. It's probably not far off from what the what the natives would do. So that's <laughs> that's right. one. But but in the early days, communities kept up their roads. You know, right. uh, I've heard many stories of different communities where, uh, and, and not just keeping up their roads, but if they had a toll road, uh, maybe a widow and her children were in charge of running the toll gate and collecting the fees. That gave her a living. Right. So it wasn't just a matter of you know, it was a matter of taking care of the poor in your community. Uh, by by letting them work honest work, uh, you know, in order to make a living. So, no, and I mean, it's recouping. You 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 put in uh, resources to make this this road or this bridge or whatever else. It's your property. You 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 get to you know reap the benefit of that. I sure. I certainly have no problem with that. So you, you got into the Libertarian Party, and this is something that and, and I know this answer, but. Um, do you consider yourself more of a minarchist or an anarchist or more of a let's head that way and see what we are when we get there ist or how would you describe that? Oh, I'm an anarchist, no doubt. Spike. I love it. I mean, if, if I, I mean, you know, I'll just tell you, I have a, a 500 square foot house on 15 acres in the hindered lands. I don't have, I have no television, no telephone, no Wi-Fi. No, I mean, uh, the only internet service I get when I'm at home is what, uh, the the 3G that comes in on my phone. Right. And uh, and that's it. You know, I mean, um, you know, my goal is to have a sustainable farm where I can sell produce to individuals or through a CSA, community uh, uh, organization, uh, without, uh, you know, that's when I retire, that's what I want to do, you know. Um, I be within the community and live small and not worry about the rest of it. Right, and all government can serve to do in that scenario is make that harder and more difficult for you, and and you know more it's, painful for you. So well, no, and I, they and they do every day because what they've done to the family farms. You know, we talk about family farms. Well, family farms were subsistence farms, and family farms were right. farmed out of business by the government because they put more controls on them. There's you know there may be there there, there at one point in this county there might have been thirty people that were actually. Uh, uh, milking cows, and everybody milked at least one cow, but there's probably 30 farms that actually milk cows to produce milk for the general consumption, and, you know, there might be three now in that county. Well, because between the state and federal regulations, the barrier to entry is so high to, 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 to be able just to comply with the basic regulations, smaller farms can't compete with that. So, I mean, it, it, those regulations are geared towards, I mean, you know this, but, you know, those regulations are geared towards making it easier for the large businesses, which can easily comply with those things, to, you know, crowd out any any potential competition. But what it also That's does, it. in the case of farming, it actually stops the ability of people to be subsistence farmers and to, you know, trade locally with other farmers, which is what this country was built on. I mean, it was an agrarian society where people you know, shared their, their different stuff with each other. So it's, it's sad right. to, to see that. And, and people have to eat, you know, right. Uh, I spent time in, Oh, the early eighties, um, on a dairy farm, working on a dairy farm in outside Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And, the uh, the folks that I, I worked for, um, a few years down the road, they, they, they were part of a co-op, uh, that, uh, you know, they tra- provided transport. They did the bottling and, everything for their milk and and um a few years down the road they um uh the co-op went bust 
and do the regulations. Well, right, right. That, that, that family decided they'd get in the milk business themselves, and now they have a very successful glass bottle milk business through a couple of, of, of milk uh, grocery store chains in, the, in that area of North Carolina. And then they did so well with that that they got into ice cream and yogurt. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so, but, 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 um, you know, it's just, uh, they're one of, uh, uh, a very small percentage of people who were able to, uh, uh, and this is a, this is a farm that, uh, it's several generations of, of, of dairy farmers. Yeah. And so, you know, but it just takes a lot of hard work and effort and, uh, in order to get there and the government doesn't help. No, no. The government adds to that, that time and effort that you have to put into it. So I am... As you know, I'm an ANCAP, anarcho-capitalist. I'm when it comes to political, the, to the party politics and electoral politics. I'm, I guess, I'm kind of agnostic as to whether or not there's an electoral path or an electoral component to reducing or, or, or much less eliminating the state. Um, there's a, and 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 my guests, my my audience ranges everything from people who absolutely think it does to people who absolutely think that it's a waste of time. Uh, to everything in between. Um, I do think that voting uh, is an act of proxy violence, um, but that, uh, but it, 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 like with any violence, there is such a thing as defensive violence, and that you could argue that voting for a libertarian, a real libertarian, is is an act of self defense against voters who are who are you know voting to subjugate us. What would you say to people who aren't really sure uh, if there's an electoral component? What or, or I guess I guess best way to say this: you're an anarchist. What is your belief behind why there's a, a an electoral component or an electoral path to uh, us having at least more liberty than we have now? Well, you know, it's like without, I mean, how else do we get our message out there? Um, how I mean. You know, people, we can post on Facebook all day long, but unless we're actively uh, running for office, uh, doing things, even locally, uh, you know, sharing ideas. You know, we, we had in Tennessee this year, we had uh, uh, a libertarian elected to uh, a county mayor's seat where, he, where, of course, it was a nonpartisan run, right. but he made no bones about being a libertarian. Uh, he ousted a two-term, uh, as a young man, he's in his uh, late 30s, he ousted a two-term Republican um, out, of that, out of that seat. Um, we had um, uh, four county commission seats, all by Libertarians, and uh, we now have one city council seat uh, by our current state chair, Cole Ebel. So uh, all these people are promoting Libertarian values and, and, and principles, uh, as they as as they take on those responsibilities uh, as elected officials, and if we don't continue with that, then you know, I'm just afraid that uh, we're not going to um, uh, that, that, that that we're we're just doomed to you know. I don't know if I don't know that we'll ever accomplish the goals we ever want to. And I have you know my dear friend Kelly Voluntary. I'm sure you know Kelly. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but but Kelly and I we have these we disagree on this completely, uh, you know. But I love him, and I love that uh, he's principled enough to follow the path he he perceives is best for him. Right. And you know, and I and I don't I don't disagree with that. I just think that uh, there is more than one way to accomplish that our mission, uh, because we've we've got to convince people that uh, personal individual liberty is best. 
that capitalism or free markets are best and that, uh, you know, uh, taking responsibility for your actions and not harming people is the only, is a better way, you know. Right. And, so, self-ownership, and, yeah. yeah. That's it. And non-aggression. So, non-aggression. Yeah, I think at the very least... If nothing else, even if you if you don't get elected, you're kind of leveraging earned media exposure, you know, by by getting out there and running and, and, and putting your message out there. You're kind of maximizing you're leveraging other people's resources through media and whatever to get your your message out as much as you can. Um, mm-hmm. I think if, if my health was better, I would probably run for something with the idea that I, I can almost guarantee I wouldn't win. But I would I would there would be more people who would know about libertarianism than than, you know, before before I had I had done that. Um uh, so you, uh, one thing that, that has challenged not just the Libertarian Party, but members of, of the other parties, uh, uh, you know, the, the non, you know, Republican and Democrat parties, um, has been difficult even just getting on the ballot. Um, and how, tell me a little bit about that. How hard is it just to even get on the ballot in the first place? It, it can be really difficult because you see, ballot access laws go, they're the last of the Jim Crow laws. Uh, across the country, because you had uh, mostly were put in place in the 60s uh, by um, um, Democrats or who in the South, particularly because they were the ones who controlled, controlled the legislatures in Tennessee. Exactly. Uh, because we had third parties who wanted to form based around civil rights and individual rights. Oh, and so they, OK, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so, so they in 1961, um, because uh, they the, there were there were there was a, a I can't think of his name right now. Daniel Lewis will be correcting me, but um, there was a gentleman who was interested in actually starting a third party, um, and uh, anyway, um, the legislature made these changes uh, because up till then we had nine, had as many as 96 um, parties in Tennessee. Uh, so oh, wow. it was the six. It was the sixties that uh, even had a socialist elected to the legislature in the twenties. Uh, so, um, so that was uh, interesting. Uh, side note, but uh, so they did that, and and then they restricted it. Um, you know, in Tennessee, up until this last governor's race, as we were working in the party, you had to have almost thirty-four thousand signatures. Uh, valid signatures in order to uh, get on the ballot where Republicans and Democrats had to have 25. And uh, now after this governor's race, that number is up to over 55,000. So if you're not a, if you're a Republican or Democrat, you only need 25,000, but if 20, you're no, 20, 20, 25 signatures, 25 signatures. You only need 25 signatures. Right. If if you want to run as for a state rep's office or you want to run for U.S. Senate, all you have to do is go get 25 signatures on a petition and file it, and there you are. But if it's as any other party, you need 55,000. Right. You need 2,000 times more. That's right. And what is their just, do they have, do they even bother having a, a rationalization for this? Like what's their, when they say well, why that is? Well, basically, because it would be so if it's easy to be easy to do, that's what they say. It ought to be so easy to do, you know, but it's not easy to do because, it, you know, if you're third party, you don't have a lot of money. 
Right. Uh, you know, you, you know, and, and if you you're, you use paid petitioners, it's going to cost you about two dollars of a, a signature to go out and get those signatures. Right. Uh, you know, we in the state of Tennessee, we had we had we had gotten up until April of this last year about uh, sixteen thousand signatures. We had until August to get them uh, get them turned in, and then they reinterpreted the regulation so that um, it. Um, uh, it effectively just shut us down uh, for doing that because they said we actively had to have some person who was filed by the April deadline right. in order to either to run as a libertarian uh, and then have all the signatures turned in. So you know, so they they just they you know it's it's easy to change the interpretation. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah. So you know you have to get it in writing, and most of the time they won't put it in writing. So they won't even tell you what the rules are. No, well, they're, they're there, but then they won't tell you. They'll tell you, oh, yeah, this is the rules, until they see you're getting close, and they'll say, oh, oh no. Oh, and then well, they change the interpretation they change, of it. They change the interpretation of it. Oh, my God, it. that is crooked as hell. So these yeah. rules, so I didn't realize this. So these rules are relatively recent in, I guess, American history. They, they're, yeah. like you said, they're Jim Crow-era laws to basically keep, I guess, black people from running for office or, or, or yeah. you know, non-Dixiecrats from running former. off. Right. Wow. And so and yeah. and and so they tell you, well, it should be easy for you to get 55,000 signatures. But for mm. the people that are in place that are these major incumbent parties that get matching funds and everything else, they only have to get 25. That's right. It, 25, not 25,000, because I, I thought 20, it was 25. No, no, 25 signatures. That's like their Tennessee. campaign yeah. team. Like, that's nothing. Oh, I know. That's it. That's exactly right. So, oh, you know, what we did, what we did in Tennessee this year... Uh, we, you know, we, we, we'd love to have a hundred people running, but we had, uh, um, uh, 15 folks from the libertarian party who ran as independents right. because that made the ballot, uh, the longest ballot in the history of this, of, of Tennessee, uh, because we added that many more independent, uh, uh, candidates to it. Right. And in some, and, and so, um, that meant that the, the I would love to have been able to add a hundred candidates, independent candidates as libertarians, because that would have really messed with them. You know? I'm sure. I'm sure. And you know, if we, and so you know, I think they're beginning to see that you know um, that we're we're not going away, and if we can get the other third parties to do the same thing, um, you know, um, we can hammer on them and and make them spend money on you know. On, on unnecessary ballot printing. And, you know, in one instance in Shelby County in Memphis, um, when you clicked, if you were if you were an older person and you needed to use a magnification on, on the ballot machine, mm-hmm. then uh, it, it uh, instead of being uh, Republican, Democrat, and Independent, it went Republican, Independent, and put the Democrat at the end. So there were people who were just all bent out of shape because they had to go, uh, they had to go looking for their candidate right at the end of this big long governor's race. So they they were they were up in arms and mad, and we had a U.S. congressman from that area who was mad, and you know, um, so it was anyway. no problem when you had to look for the independent candidate, but now that it's right. one of the major party candidates, that's unacceptable. That's exactly right. That is so, crooked yeah. as hell. That is absolutely ridiculous. So let me ask you this, because I. I okay. One of the things that a lot of third party people, I don't really hear it as much in the Libertarian Party, but I hear it in other third party people. They talk about these different um, proportional proportional 
representation votes where instead of having each um for example in like the state legislature in tennessee instead of having mm-hmm. each district have you know their their own vote where it's first past the post whoever gets you know the highest uh you know percentage of votes wins instead of having like a statewide vote and where each party gets a percentage of you know whatever percentage they got that's that's the percentage of the legislature how many however many do you know what i mean the 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 proportional yeah, representation I, I, yeah i know i know what you're talking about yeah what and then you and then about, you go ahead well, I don't know. Um, we, we've got uh, it, uh, uh, Memphis actually passed that legislation uh, in Shelby County to run their races that way. Hmm. And now it looks like the state legislature is going to squash that effort because they, they even did a, I mean, you know, they, they, they did it. Uh, they put it out there uh, to the electorate and the electorate passed it. Right. Um, so uh, it would have been a good thing. I think, uh, I'm not sure, you know, Maine has it and, um, you know, they're already in a lawsuit now about their past election. And so, um, you know, of course in Tennessee, you know, we're, we're not even there yet, maybe in local elections, right. but then most local elections are, are nonpartisan. Uh, though oh, okay. I know the GOP, but I know the GOP is working towards making them all partisan. Uh, but, uh, you know, some counties already have partisan elections for local office for county positions and register of deeds and all that. So, um, but m- the majority of them don't. And, uh, so anyway, um, uh, I, I, cause primaries, you see, that's what's ridiculous in Tennessee is the fact we have primaries. Um, in 2016 spike, we had, uh, 10 incumbents that ran in the primaries and with, with with no one running against them. And it cost the taxpayers $350,000 or $360,000 to pay for those 10 races. We're, we're no, we're, they weren't running against anyone. It was just like a coronation. It, were, it, were, it, were, they, it was just a coronation for a primary and to come into a general election and, you know, primaries in August, general elections in November but you know, I mean, you know, we're, the tax, we spend millions of dollars in Tennessee for primaries uh, that are open, which means all you have to do is you go to vote, and they say you want to vote this or you want to vote that. Yeah, it's R-O-D. the same here in South Carolina. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. And, and, and you and you put your you you know, and and you know, to me, uh, the Republicans, uh, their executive committee passed a resolution to close the primaries in Tennessee. So they only registered Republicans to vote. Well, and that's good, I guess. But, you know, the other thing is, you know, if you're going to do that, then uh, let let the parties pay for their own primaries. Yeah. Either that or do like libertarians want to do. Because what we would do in Tennessee if we had uh, party act, uh, ballot access would be we'd have primary, we'd have con- conferences and caucuses, you know, conventions to select our people at a local level. And, uh, you know, statewide, we'd have our convention we have those people nominated by the convention, not by a primary process. Yeah, I'm, I've always, even back when I was a, I guess, minarchist or conservatarian or whatever you want to call it, it was small government, not no government. I was always like, these are private organizations that are, you know, trying to get poli- their politicians in office. That's fine. Pay for your own damn primaries. Like if you, if you, yeah. if you, if you want to have this, this 
where you don't just have like a conference like how the Libertarian Party has where members go in mm-hmm. and do their thing. If you want to actually utilize this ballot system uh, where the general public can vote much more easily, then pay for it. Like, you know, why are the taxpayers paying just for two parties to do this? And that, that makes no sense. And the arguments that you get is, well, you know, if you have too many choices, then you end up voting for something you don't want. They, they have the, the dumbest rationalization but it all boils down to we just don't want competition we don't want we're fine with competing with democrats or you know the democrats we're fine with competing with republicans but you know don't give us any any other you know anyone else to have to 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 run against right because can you imagine a state legislature with four or five parties Uh, in tennessee we have 99 members in our state house 99 house district okay uh, about sixty percent of them are, uh, are are Republicans and about forty percent Democrat. Right. But if you add, if but if you took a constitutional party people, Libertarians, Green Party folks, you added them into the mix, and you even got ten or fifteen, right? Then right. it becomes a game changer for for making real compromise and for effective, maybe a little more effective. Uh, a government, you know, uh, if you, if government can be effective, which you and I both know, it's hard to do. But it would at least. So the I think the the biggest thing is that so people are given. Tom Woods calls it the three by five uh, flashcard of allowable opinion, and mm-hmm. people are presented with this idea that there's Republicans and Democrats, and that they span the entirety of the the political spectrum. Like, you're either a Republican or a Democrat or a moderate. You know, you're somewhere in between. And and that's the whole prism of politics. If these other parties were in, even just had a couple people, if you had, in that uh, 99-person legislature, if you had eight of them that were, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of Libertarians, a Green Party member, a communist the socialist whatever yeah. uh, you know constitution party reform party right. some independent that just ran on his own whatever right people would be exposed on a regular basis to the idea that there isn't just this binary choice between red and blue you know left and right a and b and that there's actually a very wide spectrum of opinion that that you can have and that you're not crazy if you have that i think that is the biggest you know, again, we're both anarchists here. That is the biggest threat that having even a handful of people in there, not that they necessarily could change legislation because they could get a majority, but just that the no. the general public would be exposed to the reality that that what the the the, the tiny tiny you know uh, uh, you know that that the, what they'd be exposed to is the fact that Democrats and Republicans are very very close together that they're to the point to where they overlap. There's very mm-hmm. little daylight between their 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 even their the furthest left members of the Democrat Party and the furthest right members. There's very little daylight on 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 the margins of what they want, and uh, and that there's actually this wide spectrum of 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 beliefs, and that that would challenge the entire premise of you know whether you're a democrat or a republican and i think that's probably the biggest threat they have not even that sure. they'd lose their majority but just that they'd even sure. have to no. answer the question they answer the question it'd be like it'd be like you know um um can you, it'd be like mr smith goes to washington exactly the whole idea yeah. the whole idea that somebody could could take to the house floor could right. speak about an issue that's not one side or the other 
uh, that presents a whole different perspective. Completely different. And, and, and it lets people know that there are different perspectives. And, and see, that's why I think that voter apathy, you know, 47% of the people in Tennessee, 47% of the people, the vote, registered voters in Tennessee do not vote. And so that means that 53% is split between the R's and the D's in the right. state. Right. And, and see, so there's a, a lot of voter apathy. And I think part of that is they don't feel like they have a representative, representative voice in, in, in uh, the legislature or local or anywhere else, you know. And, the, and they're fine with that. The Republicans and Democrats are fine oh, with yeah, sure. only a sliver. And that's you said that's 47% of registered voters, not eligible right. voters. No, that's not el- That's registered voters. So that's a much higher number for eligible voters. Sure. Yeah. So, so we're told it's the will of the people when the Republicans have a sixty. So you're, it's sixty percent of of fifty three percent of you know whatever fraction yeah. of, of eligible right. voter. Before you, by the time you drill it down, it's like eight eight or nine percent of eligible or you know fifteen percent of right. eligible voters who are running everything entirely because of things like ballot access issues and just you know I, I used to when I was very heavily in in you know because uh, I was I come from the I was a neocon who then became a constitutionalist who then mm-hmm. read the constitution and became an anarchist um, but when <laughs> I was heavily in <laughs> when I was like someone said it was actually a, a anarchist who said have you read the constitution I'm like yeah and then I read it and I'm like holy shit and I, 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 uh, I was like, oh, man, I don't think I like any of this. Um, but mm-hmm. anyway, so when I was more heavily involved in it, I would get so angry that there were, you know, eligible voters who didn't vote. And, and it can obviously, if you're heavily involved like you are in, in electoral politics, it can get frustrating. But you also understand that, like, they're not apathy. It's a combination of apathy and just this sort of being it's like. When you keep when someone keeps abusing you, you eventually just shut down and you're like, well, there's nothing I can do about that. And you just kind of walk away as much as you can. And, and right. in, in this case, they can't fully walk away because they're still subject to the laws, but they walk away from participating and thinking that there's anything they can do. And, and if nothing else, having all these other options would at least give them a feeling like maybe they could, you know, whether it actually results or not, they could actually right. have some kind of, you know voice in there or someone who even begins to reflect what they think right exactly and yeah. uh, you know and and, and, that, and that that's you know that's that's as far as electoral politics go i think that you know that's uh that that that's a worthy goal to have and but i just you know um you know of course like you said uh we're talking about the constitution i'll tell you i we started uh this past monday having a constitution class mm. um it's uh Based on uh, what we're doing is we actually um, have gone, I'm gone back and I'm using um, St. George Tucker, yep. who uh, using his book on the view of the Constitution as the basis of our study. And we're using the Constitution as originally written because too many people think things like U.S. senators direct election. They have no idea that U.S. senators were not directly elected. Um, in the original document, no, it, it wasn't, wasn't until the twentieth century. Yeah, yeah, the nineteenth yeah, yeah, amendment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, you know, so so they don't they don't uh, they don't see that, and uh, so um, there. So so the whole thing is, you know, um, that's my goal is that uh, people will understand it, not the intent, but the actual way that the Constitution was being utilized right in the beginnings. 
and then say, well, how far off we are from it and how it's been bastardized to the point that, uh, you know, it's, it's not even recognizable as a, as a, a full-fledged American document anymore. Right. And that's, I tell people, I'm like, look, if you want to be a constitutionalist, be a constitutionalist, read the constitution. Like if, that's if, if that's what you're, if this is the hill you, you want to die on, know what the hill is. Because if you read it and you go, yes, this is a hundred percent what I want. And if you look at it when the historical, within the historical context of how it's played out, you know, I, I hear Spooner in my ear saying it. That's yeah, I know, I know. Uh, but, but you know, if, if, but regardless, if this is what you're going to be, know it like actually know it this is like and another uh uh pet peeve of mine are people that are very religiously devout christians jews whatever mm-hmm. have no idea what their their religious documents say and it's like no. i shouldn't yeah. know more about you know christianity than you <laughs> and and uh um but but uh but yeah so i mean if you're gonna so it's i, I love the idea of an anarchist doing a constitution class who, who better yeah, right yeah. um but yeah you know really it, 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 the people who it's funny the people who know especially like the first seven articles the people i know who know the constitution the best are almost there's there's a couple that are like conservative uh constitutionalists almost all of them are like either anarchists or radical radical minarchists where they like the right. only thing they want government to do is to you know uh uh be able to, to sort of like an articles of confederation government where yeah. like they can they can summon a, a a voluntary army and then crowdfund it to ask to pay for it like i mean that's the, it's almost like an hoa that can that can form a army if it need be um you know uh very few that that walk away from reading the constitution and then and more importantly reading it within the context of the arguments between the federalists and the anti-federalists and and usurping the the articles of confederation and then you know the immediate acts that were done uh under the constitutional government um almost without fail they're either anarchists or they're just really hardcore like government needs to be tiny very few of them are like i'm a republican Right. Well, let's take the issue of immigration, Spike. Uh, People always throw up the 14th Amendment as being the basis for um, uh, children born of of immigrants, uh, you know, uh, non-native immigrants uh, having citizenship. Well, but both Tucker and Rawls, in his, his book on view of the Constitution, both admit that 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 birthright citizenship was started with by, by the 1820s was it, was it was commonplace it was every day you know it was the part um, of the immigration and naturalization acts right that's it, well it was part of the, of the constitution itself there wasn't oh, okay. even an act prior to that that uh that because but the interpretation was the understanding was that if a child was born in the united states to immigrant parents it it, it automatically had citizenship Right. Uh, 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 Rawls says that in 1829, and 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 Tucker says that in 1828, and um, you know um, because that issue was uh, uh, it was very simple. It was just uh, it was a matter of of of, of not not because they, but it was also a matter of when that child reached manhood. If of course that was when men were the ones only doing voting, but but when that individual reached manhood. They could make a decision for themselves right. whether they wanted to retain the citizenship and be a citizen here, but there was no need for them to not be citizens uh, and have to make that when they matured. You know, so. right? They they couldn't as minors make that decision for themselves. And immigration enforcement uh, 
was left to the states because it wasn't actually mentioned in the constitution so by virtue That's of right. the 10th amendment it was left to the states or to the people um yeah. and which is why we didn't have any immigration restrictions until the 1870s i think 1880s 1880s yeah. with, with, with the chinese exclusion acts and right. i love pointing this out to republicans i say um, I say that the the, um, the the court rulings that said that the federal government could control immigration, they use the exact same skewed definition of the word commerce in the Commerce Clause that mm-hmm. uh, that John Roberts later used to justify uh, the Obamacare mandate. Like literally, sure. the exact they said, well, commerce could mean anything, so therefore the federal government can control it. So like every it. every terrible rule that Republicans hate and say is unconstitutional. It was. It started with them using immigration as the template of saying, "Well, we you can, we could call that commerce, and now you can control yeah. that." Well, that and interstate commerce and a miscegenation laws yep. of the sixties, yep. you know, yep. um, you know, uh, and then and then the gay marriage laws. Yep. When this, when the legislature of Tennessee decided to take up legislation to oppose gay marriage, uh, I told them you're stupid, right? Right. Because you're going to waste your money because the same interpretation that the Supreme Court gave for anti-miscegenation laws, um, they're going to do for gay marriage. Because they're consenting that's exactly adults. what. Yeah. Because yeah. because and that's what they did. You know, interstate commerce came into it because of. Uh, so uh, so it's just uh, you know, um, and we in the state of Tennessee wasted two million dollars paying off the uh, their opponents' lawyers. And they spent no telling how many millions of dollars uh, of our own fighting a cause that you know, shouldn't have been fought because number one, the state doesn't need to be in marriage to be doesn't to, need to, to be begin involved with. at all. Yeah, uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, that's a sacrament, you know. Um, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, and if someone wants a civil union, then more power to them, you know. But listen, I mean, here's the thing, and I'm I, I consider myself. I guess somewhat of a tra- as much of a traditionalist as an anarchist can be, but um. It's none of my business. It's none of my business, and it's none of the government's business. I mean, you want to talk about miscegenation. Mm. The the purpose of marriage licenses originally was to make sure that highborn people weren't marrying lowborn people, and that sometimes that mm-hmm. was a racial thing, and sometimes it was a you know a class thing. But it ultimately yeah. was the government wanted to make sure that they were okay with this man and this woman marrying. Uh, be, right. You know, and it later became sort of a automatically shall issue type of thing but why like why even have yeah. it then like just if people are married let them be married if they want to engage in in, sure. in, in, in a contractual what amounts to a contractual contractual relationship uh you know if you and i decide to, to to you know uh do some kind of contractual relationship together in most cases we're not going to have to get a license to have that contract so why would that right. be the case with marriage but right right in the yeah. In, in, in English common law covered it, you know. Yep. Um, so, you know, seven years, because uh, I remember growing up as a child, I knew my parents had several friends who had common law marriages, you know. Right. Been married for 25, 30 years, but it was just common law. They never had uh, a license from the state. And I have a pastor friend in uh, uh, over towards West Tennessee, and he's married a couple in the last Forty or fifty years of his uh, ministry, he's married forty or fifty couples without license, you know. And he, he, he if you ask him, you say, "Well, how many divorces out of that?" He said about five. And I said, "Well, what do you base your success on?" He said, "Counseling." You know, he said, "I spend a lot of time counseling uh, young people before I marry them." You know, and so um, well, you and know, this, it's 
the state does not, you know, if people are arguing, well, we need to license it because they, otherwise they'll get divorced. They've, they're getting divorced and the state has no, first of all, they have no business trying to keep them from getting divorced. And second of all, they're not even trying to keep them from getting divorced. Mm -hmm. What a weird, what an odd argument to even make to begin with. Um, So I have another question related to party politics. Uh, As you know, there are many people who say there's this divergence between libertarians who, who are in party politics. Some say mm-hmm. we need to have our own libertarian party, and even if it doesn't do as well as, for example, running as a Republican, we need to have mm-hmm. our own party with our own principles and where we say, you know, this is our party and, and, and you know, we're not part of the Republicans, we're not part of the Democrats. We need to, um, you know, make our own thing and, 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 and you know, only be our own thing. And then there are others who say, well, no, it's counter. We're spending a lot of resources that we don't need to spend. It would be better to, uh, you know, uh, get into like the Republican Liberty Caucus or get into, you know, into, you know, a major party, whether it's usually it's the Republicans, they say, but some say Democrats where we get in. Um, I know some of the libertarian socialists say that, you know, it's best to go into the Democrat Party, um, but that, you know, we go we we go into these major parties and leverage the fact that they don't have ballot access problems and they and they have access to bigger donors. Um, you know, Austin Peterson tried running for the uh, uh, primary in the, the Missouri Senate and, um, um, uh, you know, Rand Paul. Uh, I'm, I, I call him Ron Paul Light. I'm not sure how liberal. I think he's more of a conservative than a libertarian at this point, but he's he's arguably the most libertarian in the, person in the Senate. And you have like Justin Amash and, uh, and um, Thomas Massey and people like that. What is, I mean, you're obviously a Libertarian Party guy, but what is your reasoning for doing with the Libertarian Party as opposed to, you know, trying to co-opt the the Republicans or or one of the major parties? Well, co-opting Republicans, you know, I mean, we don't have the money. We don't have the resources to even co-opt the Republicans. And look at this way. Ron Paul, Justin Amash, Amash, um, Tom Massey, Rand Paul, yep. Mark Sanford, right? That's five of that of, of of libertarian leaning, liberty leaning Republicans in thirty years, right? right? Um, both Rand and Ron were knocked out of presidential nomination by the by the the, the rank and file of the Republican Party, you know, and the and the elite. I mean, neither one of them wanted them. They didn't want to hear what they had to say. Both knocked out of running for president, um, so I just don't see that. Um, uh, and, you know, e- even Ron Paul's replacement in Congress is not a liberty-leaning Republican. You think that in a district that continually elected him to Congress, that they would have a, a, a congressman to uh, secede him who was uh, liberty-leaning, and he's right. not. And so, you know. Uh, those are rare instances, and I have respect for the, most of those guys and the work they're doing right. and what they're trying to do. You know, Tom Massey, I have a great deal of respect for because you know, I mean, if if you saw the 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 little Facebook thing going around called the Swamp, you saw that you know Tom Massey he owes the Republican reelection committee for the House over a million dollars, and that they they claim he needs to be raising for them. He refuses to pay it. You know. Because that's not what he's there for, right? Uh, and so uh, you know, so I said, you know, that that's that's all well and good, but um, there are a lot of libertarians that would never become a part of the of the Republican Party. 
Um, you know, and I, and I still think it'd be it's just a waste of time. And I know that it's uh, it's a hard sell, but you know we saw we saw tremendous growth in 2016, um, and hopefully uh, in 2020 uh, we'll have a candidate who is standing on libertarian principles, who's working with down ballot candidates to help them get elected, um, who's uh, I don't care whether they're a media darling or not, uh, you know. Uh, as long as they're out there willing to hit the ditches and do the work, um, you know that's 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 the biggest problem with most people. They don't want to get down the ditch and dig it out, so the water will drain off. Instead, they want to instead they want to just walk down the road and and uh, hoot and holler and type on their keyboards, you know. And uh, that's true gotta, of most gotta, things, though. That's true of most oh, things. That most people would rather it be is. like, "Hey, that's terrible over there. Oh, that yeah. sucks." I hate that right, and then right. not do anything about it. Right. 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 But you know, that's just, you know, that, that's, that's, I mean, you know, I, I, I like those guys. I have a, I have a picture somewhere on my Facebook page of, of me sitting down having a little short conversation with Rand and I'm showing him that the, the, the width between my hands is what the size of government needs to be. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's so another, so with the libertarian party, and this is something I've kind of evolved on, in say even the last few months um i'm a capitalist or free market whatever i i know there's many different people have different definitions of capitalism i'm a supporter of free market economics total voluntary interaction private ownership self-ownership and therefore property ownership that comes from you taking your body and mixing the land with your time mm-hmm. and resources and making it your property and all that stuff um and i think you're you're kind of there you, you you did the same thing where you said capitalism or you know free markets um and i'm kind yeah. of in that same place as you know um within the libertarian party most would be considered capitalist or you know i guess right libertarians or you know people that support mm-hmm. you know uh uh private property ownership and things like that. But there is a sizable number of those who have a completely different concept about what libertarianism means. Um, in fact, libertarianism initially, at least in Europe, started as a socialist ideology. It hasn't been in America. It's always kind of been a, 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 a private property-based ideology. But what is your... I know last year they tried passing a resolution that said socialism was incompatible with the party and it failed. Um, what is your thought about having socialists or, or mutualists or, you know, whatever it's syndicalist or whatever they call themselves, uh, the, I guess left libertarians in the party and, you know, a, do you think that they belong B if they do belong, how do you bridge those gaps with people that, for example, think that, you know, my owning more than one house is every bit as tyrannical as, you know, a government existing. Right. Well, number one, Spike, if they're a member of the Libertarian Party, then they have to agree to the SOP, which talks about private property, right? Okay. I mean, that's, that's just, I mean, it's, it's the, the SOP and the NAP. That's, that's, those are the two, the statement of principles and the NAP. Those are the two things. Okay. And, and the other thing is, you know, um, I, I just tend to, when I know at convention, you know, there were several of them that I had seen on Facebook, and my solution was they just need a big old hug, and uh, they just need to be um, loved back over to the side that uh, it says that uh, what what they're what they're promoting is um, you know I mean it's like in in this business here 
you know, I mean, we've got um, 25, 30 employees, and um, you know, um, but 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 the end game of, of this family business is uh, is that you know uh, we pay our employees well. Um, we don't pay them scale; they pay them above scale. Right. Uh, you know, we um, we uh, they're like a family. We very seldom have to replace anybody. We have people that've been here 30, 40 years. Um, you know, we just, uh, continue to go on. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's not, uh, it's, it's not like a corporate, um, and then that, I think that's most of the socialists that we see is, is they're angry about corporate America. Right. Well, and, 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 and but as an anarchist, we are too, right? I mean, we, Correct, we, we yes. the whole, the whole idea is that, you know, social welfare or welfare in the United States it's not just about social welfare. It's about agricultural welfare. It's about corporate welfare. It's oh, about the state of Tennessee spending $900 million in subsidies, tax breaks, uh, infrastructure to bring Volkswagen to Chattanooga right. and add 3,000 jobs. But it's like I told them, uh, what if you just spent $100 million and offered a thousand, a thousand businesses across Tennessee, mom and pop businesses, a hundred thousand dollars a piece in small business tax breaks or yeah. entrepreneurial tax breaks or whatever. Right. How many jobs would they add? You know, would they with a hundred thousand dollars? You know, that there'd be three thousand jobs, and that's spread across the state. And it's not tied to one corporate entity that almost closed its doors because they lied about the, to the federal government about their. Uh, uh, about things they weren't supposed to lie about. So they spent $900 million to get 3,000 jobs? Yes. That's Is that $300,000 a job? Yes. That doesn't seem like a good investment, huh? <laughs> like It's not a, it's not a good investment. Oh my gosh. But, but you cannot tell economic development people that it wasn't a good investment, you know. Well, no, because um, they're Keen, they're all Keynesians. They they that, they that's I, right. I love the where they'll take a like a surge protector and plug it into itself and say, "I just created electricity," and that's that's how they think with economics. Yeah, it's, we it, we have a, we have, we have a, a industrial park in West Tennessee that uh, they they a uh, hundred and something acres of land uh, that the state's been developing for last uh, eight or nine years they've spent almost 200 million dollars on it 200 million dollars and not the first business has gone into it not the first one uh it's you know and uh so it's just it's it's ridiculous uh you know but then you have a guy come up on the interstate who has a distillery and he puts a road sign up and because he's too close to the interstate fence, the state makes him take it down. I think I remember hearing about that. I heard about that, and then I heard about another one where a guy kept asking the government to build uh, either an off-ramp or something that would go onto his property. And mm-hmm. they had already approved it to be done. They just never funded it. And they didn't do it, and they yeah. didn't do it, and they didn't do it, and they he didn't do it. it. He built and it he himself. built it himself, and now they're fighting him to take it down. And he's like, yeah, I, right. I used your exact specs. I used your exact, you know, easements and whatever else. I had mm-hmm. permission from it because it's my property, so it wasn't like anyone else's property was involved. No, and I, I right. did, and they said no, you can't do it. And right. um, you know, how is that helping business? But I, I well, agree with. Go, go ahead. Yeah, and another thing I have to tell you is crazy. 
we have a, a solar farm in West Tennessee, and the the state legislature defunded the project, right? So okay. effectively killed it, right? Okay. Two year two years later, the Department of Transportation built an access ramp to it off the interstate that goes just to the solar farm that's been defunded. Because they already were planning on doing it, I guess. Yeah, and instead of canceling the project, you know, uh, they went ahead and built it, which goes to nowhere, you know? It's almost like, um, it's almost like when people spend someone else's money, they don't give a crap where it goes. It's, it's, that's, that's, that's exactly right. So you think about the 800,000 people that my heart goes out to those people that aren't oh, getting paychecks, right? Yeah. But but they're not getting paychecks. But the thing about it is, how many of those people are making decisions every day that they're spending money, our dollars, our tax dollars, and uh, you know don't uh, you know don't care for the way they're spending them? You know, they don't care that Just, people are laid off. I here's my thing with federal workers, and I even have friends that are federal workers, or they have family that are. So I I, I have to be. Uh, as empathetic as I can when I do my messaging. But at the end of the day, first of all, if I'm working for an employer who hasn't paid me in uh, over a month because of uh, of a budgeting disagreement in the in the mm-hmm. executive office that you know in the in the count in the in the board that doesn't appear to be changing anytime soon, and they're also telling me you absolutely have to show up for work even though we're not paying you, I'd find more stable mm-hmm. employment. I mean, I, I just. I I would oh, find sure. a, I would find a better I would find a job that treated me better. The the other the flip side of this is I keep being told about the the, the government workers and that they're they're not getting their money, which they are eventually going to get money at some point, unless my sure. dream happens and this shutdown goes on ad infinitum, uh, which I doubt will ever happen. But at some point, it's going to reopen and they're going to get all their back pay. Meanwhile, there you know people get laid off all the time. People have. You know, uh, uh, you know, where they're laid off or they're downsized or or they're um, oh, what's it called? Where they uh, made redundant? Um, they yeah, get, right. just get fired, and they, you know, their, their plant closes down or whatever. Um, they 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 have a business and it goes you know south, whatever. And and they have problems, and because they're just some you know schmuck dealing with it themselves, no one really cares. But it's a government worker, and so we're all supposed to be like, oh, the government work. Anyway, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be careful with how I say it, but I just to me it's like it's like look, you know, if you don't like your job, if you if you don't like that you're not getting paid for a job that you have to do, even though you are eventually going to get paid, there are other there are other jobs available. You can find another job. I believe. In you. Sure, sure, so, sure you can. Yeah, yeah, and see, you know, it's just like it would be ridiculous if, uh, here if we said to our employees. Guys, we're you guys got to come to work, and we're not going to pay you for the next thirty days. <laughs> you know, would they come to work? No, no, no. they'd probably sue you. Like, I mean, they, yeah, exactly. And that's, but but, and here's the thing. So they complain and complain, and I'll say, well, why don't you quit? Well, it's a very stable job. Okay, so then don't complain to me. If you know yeah. that it's stable, you know you're going to get paid at some point. Then why are you complaining? And if and if you don't believe it's stable anymore, then find a job that is stable. But anyway, mm-hmm. I, I agree with what you said about, you know, loving on people, even when you disagree with them. I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean if I didn't love right. people who disagreed with me, I'd have like, 
I, you'd be one of my handful of friends. I mean, like my, I mean, you know, I, I have different politics from my wife. Like sure. you, you have to, you have to be empathetic when you're, when you have, especially when you have a fringe ideology like we do, you kind of have to, you know, accept that not everyone thinks the way you do. And I guess you got to apply that with the libertarian socialists. I, I do agree when, when I'll talk to them and, and I'll start talking to them about like uh, private ownership, they go to Jeff Bezos with Amazon or they go right. to like, you know, multi-billionaire and I'll say, Hey, buddy in a in a in a uh, in a in a true libertarian anarcho-capitalist anarchist voluntarist whatever you want to call it society it's going to be very hard for someone like that to exist because the only mm-hmm. way they're going to exist sustainably is to be providing so much value that everyone is thrilled that they're that rich they're not going to be able right. to use some monopolistic force to entrench themselves as as you know like the walmarts do and like the like the 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 major farms do or you know any of these major corporations um you know they're not going to be able to shut out competition and so there's going to always the bigger they are the bigger of a target they're going to be so the only way that a that a bill gates or a jeff bezos or a warren buffett or someone like that could exist is if they're perpetually providing so much value that that we're all just you know, willingly continuing to, to, to give them, in which case no one would be complaining. Um, but right. I, I think it gets lost, you know, and this happens with both sides. We're both arguing for almost of our system. So they're arguing for almost socialism, like, you know, in South mm-hmm. America or uh, Scandinavia or whatever. We're arguing for almost capitalism. And what ends up happening is we're, we're using stat statist, uh, 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 goalposts or, 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 or um, points of reference to argue with each other instead of saying, Hey, look, we both want a free society. Let's get there and figure out what it's going to look like once we right. get there. Well, you know, it's like I tell them if, if you're not happy, I mean, I can point out to people in Tennessee, there's it was, well, it's a multi-state operation, a concrete company, urban materials. Right. It is employee owned, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, there you go. That's that, but 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 they they do have a CEO and they do have a chief financial officer and blah 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 all the way down the line, and but but they are employee owned and they're a multi-state concrete mixer, you know, bringing concrete uh, company cement concrete company, in 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 and there's the perfect example of. Of what these people are complaining about, right? <laughs> and I you wonder, know, and I wonder how much of that structure, that corporate structure, exists entirely to comply with tax rules. Like, you know, exactly, it does. I, I mean, maybe it doesn't, it does. but I, I would imagine at least having a CFO is entirely based on IRS regulations requiring that. I would think. Sure, and and you've got investments and things you want to make for the company to grow. Right. And if you if you start if you're in one state and you you see well there's a necessity we can move this other state now who can we go down there and and partner with and right. bring people into and 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 to to partner with and and make them a part of uh, of, of our family. Of employees that own this company, and so uh, you know, but 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 they don't want to do that, right? They just no. want a corporation to say, "Oh, you just hand us the reins and let us do it," right? right? Right. And and you know, and the employees will do that, and that doesn't work. You know, I, I, I tell somebody is a real very small example in uh, in East Tennessee in Rugby, Tennessee. Uh, there's a little community that's one of those utopian societies that was founded in the late 1800s uh, by a man by the name of Thomas Hughes, who wrote the book from England, who wrote the book Tom Brown School Day. Okay. Well, he came he came over to the 
Cumberland Plateau. He fell in love with the land and he decided that there that there was the situation was you had the son these these young men in England, the sons of the landed gentry, second sons, who weren't going to inherit the title or weren't going to inherit property, mm-hmm. and so they mostly wild away their life idle. And so he came and built an entire English village, uh, um, Victorian village in on the plateau in eastern Tennessee, uh, down to an Anglican church. And um, uh, they started a business, right? And uh, tomato canning business, which was cooperatively run. The only problem was these second sons of the landed gentry were too busy playing tennis on the clay tennis court that they built and going fishing and being loafing because that's all they ever knew. It's being the idle rich. Right, right, right. They didn't have any money, but, you know, so it failed (laughs) miserably. But, you know, but in in any utopian society like that, that's based on a cooperative area, unless you're Mennonites or or, uh, Hutterites or Amish, uh, you know, very few of those... uh, those organizations you still, I mean, that you know that uh, they've ever been able to exist because um, the thing was, you know, uh, people couldn't decide on. Uh, well, I'm a part of it, but I'm not contributing to it, right? So you right. just it's give the, me my the, share. The, the free rider problem, right? That's but right. That's in right. those working, and I, I, my understanding is with most like Mennonite and Amish communities and things like that, it's pretty close to being a commune. I mean, there there is private ownership, yeah. but there's a collective goal happening there right but there is such a focus on you don't work you don't eat like you know you you it's one thing if you're sick or something like that but you can't just like you said play tennis on the 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 clay tennis they sound like they're the original millennials back then right they're just like yeah yeah, i don't have any money but i'm still gonna lay around um yeah it's a dig to my fellow millennials um but the uh you know in these communities where where we're and it's not communism because communism requires the elimination of all states and right. everyone is right. worldwide collective, which is why right. there is no. They say there is no real. Uh, real communism has never been tried. That's correct, and it, it never will. It is correct. No, it's, it's correct, true. and it never will. Um, but but these smaller communes, they work because first of all, they're small. Second of all, they do allow some level of private ownership, and third of all, they have a massive focus on you have to work you can't just sit there you have have to work and we wouldn't want to live in that commune made national because it's a slave driving society it is a a a, you work and work and work and work and work and work because we have a collective goal and the people that say they want communism or even just you know a shared economy or whatever they call it the minute the, the voluntary part of it is gone and you're you're forced to be working because we have this goal, it's only a few shades off from fascism. That's right. And see, the thing that is, um, look at look at those, you're talking about the Mennonite, Hutterites, Amish. Right. The, the, they're not wealthy people. No. Right? They're, no. they're not corporatists. They're not starting big corporations. No, no, no. And, and operating. Their life is very simple. Yep. You know, and 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 most of the socialists that I know, they don't want a simple life. They want to be able to live urban downtown. You know, be urban sophisticated yep. and have uh, and 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 all that. They don't want to. They don't want to live a simple life. Which know? is fine. So, that's if that's. Hey, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm somewhere yeah, between oh, yeah. those two. Like I live in a suburb. 
I'm I I'm I'm married to an urban sophisticate, but I myself am not. I'm 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 some I don't have the country accent because my parents are from up north, but I'm somewhat of a country boy. But but I, here I am with my equipment I bought on on Amazon, uh, but mm. uh, for my podcast. But um, uh, so I'm somewhere in between. But that's fine that they want that. But so I always they start talking about factories, and I'm like, mm. have you ever been in a factory? <laughs> like, you know, where is this coming from? They'll start talking about. Uh, industrialization and factories as examples and i'm like look i get that you've read das capital have you ever been inside of a factory like have right. you ever worked like hard physically yet now i haven't i mean have you worked in you know an industrial plant and if not what the hell are you talking about with factories what are you if someone gave you a factory you and your friends a factory tomorrow and said okay here you've you've seized the means of production what are you going to do with that factory yeah exactly and and the thing about it is, and they they don't realize that that is a, the industrial the industrialized America is dying, right? That's the other thing too. Yeah, that's the other. I mean, you know, there's no there's no the steel mills, the 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 automobile manufacturers are about the only thing left that's a major industrialization, and people are being replaced daily by robots. So um, you robots. know, I mean. Robots and people who are like thrilled to be working in a factory because it's sure. such a such a step up. You know, they're so far down on the economic ladder that working in what we would consider, you know, sweatshop conditions, they're thrilled at it because they're inside and they're like they're not, you know, uh, uh, subsistence farming and, and rocky land where they die of starvation routinely or they're not having to pick right. through. Uh, 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 Western landfills that are dumping there. They're not having to, uh, you know, prostitute their kids and like all these terrible things that they do just to survive. They're able to work a set number of days a week, really, really hard, grueling work, but they work and they get paid and they can go home and then they can go back to work and get paid and they can maybe even work their way up in the factory and with the idea yeah. that their kids move. So, I mean, they're thrilled about it. Whereas here we're like, well, it's not, you know, I'm not getting paid enough and, you know, you're not, I don't have, you know, time to think about my feelings and like, you know, I mean, it's, it, we're not built for that anymore. So, no, um, that, no, yeah. see, you know, guys in my generation, uh, you know, in a rural County, you know, we didn't have any industrial, we, there was no industrial park here in the County growing up. Right. And I'd say that, you know, the majority of my classmates, unless they were becoming school teachers or their families owned a store or, you know, they were doing something like that. Um, they uh, they had to leave the county, and some of them stayed living here, but they would drive sixty miles to Nashville every day to work. Right, right. In, in, a, yeah. in, in, in a factory, and so when the factory, we finally got some factories here. You know, um, that they, they continued to work in factories, and you know, it was, uh, uh, but 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 it was already you know uh, dying out by the time we you know, started becoming industrialized in this county. And and that's another problem. If you look at the EDCs, the economic development people, you know, particularly in states like ours, they're not looking to develop, um, think outside the box. You know, they're looking right. to, you know, I mean, you know, if you take a county like, like Smith County here, if, if we had the kind of uh, high-speed broadband, right, where people could live in a rural community on acres of land right. and conduct and their business from home. Yep. That's right. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we, we would, we, this county would economically be far ahead of itself. And, yeah. uh, but, but that doesn't happen, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and but, that's actually what, 
so when I before I I sold my business because of health stuff, um, I had a website design company. I'm not in a rural area. Um, I wouldn't say. I mean, I'm in a Myrtle Beach, so it's like kind of a resort town that looks mm-hmm. bigger than it really is. But because I had high speed internet, um, access to high speed internet, not you know gigabit internet or anything like that, but you know decent high speed internet, I was able to conduct my business from my house, and I ha- I can count on one hand the number of clients I I actually physically met that weren't that didn't live in the immediate area, and I had clients all over the uh, the the Western Hemisphere, and um. It's just by having an internet connection. So like you said, just having a broadband internet in this information age, you don't need to build a massive multi-hundred million dollar factory. You just need the infrastructure for people to be able to go online and they can do anything anywhere. Right. Yeah. Right. See, and that's that's simple. And, uh, you know, but but yet, you know, government has to interfere with that. Exactly. And right. and, and, and keep people from, uh, you know, and, and, and then the, the mindset of those uh, – of AT and T and and Verizon and people like that, Google even, uh, yeah. you know, bringing into a rural area, they don't want to do it because they don't see the customer base. But right. they don't they don't see that if they if they did that, then the customer base would expand exponentially. You know, of course, of course, of course. So I've gotten some comments uh, asking us to talk about. This is what I keep hearing. Ask about Sarwark. So. Um, I know, so I know you're friends with Nick Sarwark, so I'm not going to, we're not going to do gotcha questions or whatever, but as I'm sure you know, there have been some, uh, recent, uh, things where I guess the chairman of the, the party, Nick, Nicholas Sarwark, Nick Sarwark, am I saying that correct? Sarwark? Nick, Nick Sarwark, yeah. Sarwark, yeah. Mm-hmm. Has, um, and he has every right to do this, but given his opinion on things, and I guess there's been a lot of backlash on that, I guess speaking more broadly, do you think that there have been some, and not just with, with Sarwark, but in general, some issues with individual personalities and positions of leadership with the party that have made it more difficult for the party? Or do you think that's just how any kind of large organization is? Well, you know, um, I think it's more difficult because libertarians don't necessarily, we, we don't, we don't uh, uh, we're not marching to the same beat of the drum, right? right. Republicans and Democrats, you know, they, they elect a party chairman or however they do it. And, uh, you know, they're all going along to the beat of the same drum, right? Libertarians are not that way. And, uh, uh, at all, at all. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and and that's a good thing about it, right? You know, I tell people, you know, when I was a Republican, my beard was really trimmed and now I'm a libertarian. Look at me, right? You know, and, um, so, but, but, uh, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, and, 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 and I, and I love Nick Starwark. He's a good friend. Right. We have had, we've had our differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, several years ago we had some differences because I really didn't see the direction the party was going that I thought was, 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 was where he was headed with it. But then in the last two years, uh, you know, I've seen the, the party support, uh, you know, reach out and recruit 800 candidates to run locally for office uh, to see a whole bunch of them across the country getting elected uh, to see Nick being supportive of those roles of him being supportive of uh, ballot access. Um, you know, ideologically, he can have his differences uh, right, just like right. you and I can. But as being a chairman who is being an effective chairman, you know, we're a bottom-up organization. Right. We're not a top-down. And if it ever comes to being a top-down, 
then, you know, I mean, I might be tempted to violate the NAP because, uh, you, know, I, you know, authoritarian figures are just not, uh, you know. Uh, and, and I've seen people who, within the party, who want an authoritarian party. And, uh, you know, um, I don't believe in purging anybody. I believe in loving people. And I believe that uh, sometimes you, you, can, you can, with kindness and uh, education and caring, uh, bring them around or either show them the error of their ways and they leave. You know, um, you know we've, seen, we, we, we've seen an exodus of people leaving the party. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that will, you know, uh, it'll, it'll happen, you know, uh, you know, if you can't believe in the true principles and uphold those principles and you think that you have to have an authority figure as, as the national chair, then I'm sorry because I just don't, uh, and I think too many people are able to twist the words. Facebook makes it so easy. You know, look at this recent, uh, thing with, uh, the kids at the Lincoln Memorial. The MAGA hat kid, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. See, I stayed out. I mean, I saw that and I thought, oh, there's got to be something more to this. You right, know? right, right, right. And, and then look at it now, you know, and, exactly. uh, you know, um, and look at the, and the whole thing has just exploded. And yet people keep bringing it up and bringing it up and discussing it. Let it go, folks. You know. And, and that's the thing. So I have. You know, we so Matt and I have our show on Tuesdays, which is essentially a topical show where we just talk about the the, the week's events, and then we'll we'll delve into how, as libertarians, we think about those types of things. So obviously, yesterday, last night, we talked for like a half hour about the MAGA hat kid and the whole and the whole thing with that with the uh, Nick Sandman, I think is Sandman, is, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. But that's also what we do. Like we talk, we just you know talk. Sure. About, I mean, we also talked sure. about a guy who was on a plane who was telling the flight attendants to, you know, wipe him after he went to the bathroom. So, I mean, we talk about a lot of things on this show. Like, it doesn't have yeah, to be right. important for us to talk about it. But in reality, whatever your opinion is, uh, is of what happened there, whether the kid was in the wrong or the native guy was in the wrong or the, the black Israelites were in the wrong or there's some combination thereof, none of that affects us. Like, no. not, like that kid is not going to hurt you. And neither is that native guy. And neither are the Hebrew Israelites. Neither are the other students. And whether they are... like, It's one thing to have an opinion about something, but I would love for people to have the same energy about the fact that $22 trillion and rising is being written off in their names for them to pay in perpetuity. Exactly. Not exactly. to mention all the unfunded liabilities like Social Security and Medicare and, and, and increasingly Medicaid and, and SNAP and everything else. I, I, I just, or, or, the, or the, 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 the sheer number of people that are being caged for engaging in voluntary commerce, uh, the sheer number of, uh, uh, you know, they'll get mad about a specific person that got hurt at the, you know, at the border or whatever, but it's like, they mm. don't look at the, the systemic of, 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 you know, I just love, would love to see the same amount of uh, amount of energy either for or against the MAGA hat kid for like, you know, people in foreign countries that are scared when it's sunny out because that's when the drone bombs can get to them. And so they sure. pray for rain because they're traumatized by seeing the sun because it means they can die today. Like I would right. love for people to have that level of energy um, uh, you know, for those types of things, and like you said, it, it doesn't really even matter, but people, you know, get caught up in, in specific things. And I agree with you about with the party that, you know, 
it doesn't really make sense for it to be a top-down authoritarian structure because that's sort of counterintuitive. You're trying to tell people you don't need that kind of thing to live, but then you're saying, well, we need it for our, our party. Well, why? If, if, if it's sort of the, so, you know, the, I, I'm sure you've heard of prefiguration, which is the idea of, of creating answers outside of government to show people mm-hmm. that anarchy can work. Even if the government's fighting us to try to keep it from working, sure. we can still make it work. That's sort of like the opposite of prefiguration where we're saying, well, you know, we don't need a government, but we're going to make our party like a tiny government where, you know, this right. one guy can tell everyone what to do. Right. You know, and that's and that's ridiculous. You know, and actually, and it, the, I'll tell you, the, funnier than that is the flack that Brent DeRitter and I caught this weekend from posting our pictures to Alex Merced, right? People give you a I hard mean, time about that? Oh, yeah. You wouldn't believe the flack that, that Brent caught more than I did. But there were people going, oh, that's ridiculous. Why would you want to do that? That's just dumb. You know, that's just, you know. And, and I, I've had so many people who, because they saw somebody uh, with an Alex Merced picture, right? Right, right. And they accepted their friend request. No, I know. Because, I know. a lot Because they knew that yeah. they were a, Yeah. That's because I knew they were a good guy, you know. Right, they, good they must be good if they got the Merced uh, uh, yeah, uh, picture. Yeah, Merced. Yeah, I know. So you know, I mean, I mean, you know, um, I, I love Alex Merced. He's, uh, you know, he he, he to me like is a really ni- yeah. He seems. I'd love to have him on my show. He seems like a really really nice guy. He, he is a great young man. He is, uh, you know, very intelligent. Uh, you know. He's a peacemaker, natural peacemaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and see, we need more of that in this world, you know. Uh, <laughs> we, in this you know, party. In this, in this party, party definitely. definitely in this party. And so, you know, Brent changed his picture to Alex, and and then uh, another person did, then I did, then I challenged people for 24 hours, and Brent did, and the next thing we knew, it just went crazy, you right, know. Right, right, right. We're, we're and, and it was fun. And Alex, he he got a kick out of it. Yeah, he and, thought it was fun too. Yeah, yeah, and he and he even made more fun of it. And uh, you know, uh, so uh, but but you know, people wanted to come down and say, oh, you know, uh, you know, this is dumb, this is stupid, this is you know, Alex Merced is not. He's milk toast, milk toast, milk toast. And I'm going, well, you know, I just I don't mind having a few milk toast people in this party. Yeah, you know, so I mean, why? Because he's not going to argue with you for six hours on the internet, like, and and I'm someone who yeah. will argue. I will argue if you're out there, guys. Let me make me the big one, guys. If you would like to argue with someone I, for, about something that I disagree with you on, I will do it. I am definitely that guy, but, but mm. not everyone is like that. So what's the problem? If Alex doesn't want to argue with you on the internet for several hours, like me, then then what's the problem? Just come to me. Well, I, you know, I, I, bottom line is, I think it's that you know, there were there the. Most some of the people that were upset about it, because you know they're the people that uh, that think being audacious and waving dildos in a convention hall is, uh, is is a great thing. Well, it didn't bother me in the least that they did that at the convention hall, but you know, but but they're mad been, about a profile picture. Yeah, and they're, and they're mad about somebody like Alex Merced who doesn't go along with things like that. You know, or just you know, they're just uh, you know, but they got to be contrary. There's always going to be contrarians. And uh, yeah, you if, know, you're, but, uh, if you're mad about the Alex Merced picture, then you just want to be mad about something. That's it. That's I mean, exactly honestly what. because I saw it. Like I, I, t- I, I have MS, so I nap a lot. Like I know, and I don't violate the nap. I nap. I am a big believer yeah, in the nap. Yeah. Like a couple a day, I take. Um, so I was on one of my naps. It was like a three-hour nap. I wake up. I go on my Facebook, 
everyone's profile picture is Alec Merced and there's people posting, you're not a real libertarian <laughs> unless you change your picture to Alex Merced as yeah. a, as wearing a, a, a Virgin Mary uh, yeah. a Guadalupe pendant or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, what the hell happened? And so I just thought it was funny. I remember I was like, no, nah, I'm going it back to It was funny. And yeah, I so, saw that. I and too. I ended up like, I think I, I made a couple of pictures of Alex where I put him on the Guadalupe Virgin Mary on mm-hmm. some stuff and whatever. And he thought that was funny. And it was like, it was just a joke. Like, yeah, it's a joke. If you're and, the, and the funny part was that see, that's a his high school photograph that's on his right. wall. His mom's and his mom actually he had a choker on and she glued she glued the, that, the medallion onto his choker. See? And so that's where the picture came from. So right, it's right, just, right. It, it's wonderful, you know. It was hilarious, but, and it was so good. Like it was just, and like you said, it actually had a, a good benefit I, in that. Sure. I, I accepted a few friend requests because I have like I don't even know how many at this point I've I've stopped accept, accepting unless I know the person because I've I've accepted a few people that I instantly regretted so now it's yeah. like if I don't know you I'm not accepting um, right. or someone isn't you know referring you know saying oh accept this person or whatever um, but seeing the Alex Merces I'm like well they can't be too bad because they because whatever and obviously other people did that too so there's some massive networking that happened over what oh, was sure. essentially like. A drunken joke, right? Like, I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Brent, Brent and I were both drunk. So right, I mean, exactly. <laughs> but there's not like I mean, no one was hurt. Like, no. I, I, like I said, if you're mad about the, I didn't realize there was any heat over that. If you're upset oh, about yeah. that, you really just want to be mad about something. Yeah, like, exactly. Truly, like you truly just want to be mad. So right, but 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 that but that's part of the problem, I think, in the LP. You got a group of people, uh, or groups of people who want to be mad about something all the time. Right. And still, let's just, you know, let's just get, get the job done. Um, you know, let's get out and fundraise. Um, uh, you know, if we're going to keep the party going, we've got to fundraise. We've got things to do. Let's right. recruit candidates. Let's, uh, you know, let's, 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 uh, let's promote our principles. Let's continue to let the folks that are doing great work, you know, um, developing things like our CRM and, and that's going to be a, a way for, all that data to be used. It's just like uh, a candidate runs for office uh, in 28, 2018, and he's part of the, tied to the CRM for the national party. Then a, then a candidate comes along in 2022 and runs for that same office. All that information is available to them. Right. See, which is we've never had before, right? Which is that's, I mean, that's sort of a standard of what you have to have now is a, C, is yeah, a CRM, yeah, a centralized yeah. database, right? Yeah, and so if the party's doing that for candidates, you know that's a that's a very positive, and you not have to pay for it, right? I mean, the you know the party's providing it; it's already in place, right? right? It's already in place, right? You know, and uh, you know then uh, it's it's just you know you got to have a database, and and uh, so folks will be able to um, understand. And to be honest with you, Spike, I didn't even know what the hell a CRM was till about a year and a half ago. <laughs> And now I do, so you know I can even talk about it. So it's it's something you need. Like I mean, it's it, it's crucial. But like you said, like what the hell is a CRM? But uh, and I know from from my line of work what it is. But um, it's absolutely crucial to have that centralized. Um, I mean, I, I do some odds and ends sales stuff now, and when I talk with the people, I'm like, we have a CRM, right? We're not just like trading emails of who to call. Like we have a central. We're all looking at the same thing. It's it's crucial. Um, so I have, uh, and thank you again for coming on my show. This has been an absolute blast. I've had so much fun talking oh, with you. Yeah. Um, I have one more question for you before I like, okay. give you a chance to do final thoughts. 
Okay. And this is something I think I'm going to start asking all of my all of my guests. Tom Arnold is president. Okay, he gets elected. You get elected president. You are president. What would you say are the first two or three things that you would want to do as president? Uh, the first two or three things I would do as president, I would ask to meet with Congress, and I would tell them that uh, any first thing, any um, unconstitutional or uh, part of the government was going away, phasing it out, ending it all, winding it down. If it, if it wasn't constitutional, we'd be get, we'd getting rid of it. And I would ask Congress to uh, sit down and start repealing legislation. And, uh, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's cut government down to the bare bones uh, it was intended to be. And, um, you know, um, that's what I do. You know, people say, well, I'd walk in there and, and with a stroke of the pen, I'd do an executive <laughs> order to end all the government. Well, that's not going to happen. Yeah, it just, you, know. you can't but, actually but, do that, but, right? But, but, but I would actually start, you know, working with Congress to say, you know, and, and, I, and, if, and if they start giving me flack, then I'm the POTUS, the POTUS, and then I'll go out and I'll start recruiting candidates to run against them. Till we get a, a group of candidates in there, legislators in there who can actually do the work, right? Right. You know, because right. uh, in the meantime, take, you can you can veto anything they try to hand you. That's exactly right. You know, let's cut the spending. Let's let's get twenty two trillion dollars out of debt. Let's end all that crap. Let's yeah. actually have a budget. You know, we haven't had a budget since a real budget since uh, Newt Gingrich and uh, and Bill Clinton. Yeah, uh, Pat. Pat, we, that, we, it's all been continuing resolutions. Resolutions, right? That's right. So you know, there, there've been no budget. Um, they say well, we passed a budget. No, you didn't. You passed no, a continuing you, resolution. You, fun, you, know, you funded it, government. You didn't pass a budget. That, right. that, that's exactly right. So, right. Uh, so that yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's pretty much what I would do if I if I were POTUS. But uh, you know, um, I'd probably work on taking national park lands and. Uh, um, either privatize, turn them over to private organizations to run because that's one of my pet peeves. I just don't believe that uh, the federal government should own all this private, this land that they own, uh, that we need, it needs to be in private hands. And if we want to, if they want to maintain it as uh, as a national, as a park, then let a private organization take on that responsibility. Right. Charter it, go, charter it as a park and then let them take care of it. Right. That's right. right. Let them go fund me to do what they want to do with it. So, Very you know. good. So, guys, if you want a tiny, tiny government, Tom Arnold for yeah. president, draft yeah. Bar- right. Tom Arnold for president. Um, so, well, thank you so much again, uh, Tom. And before I let you go, uh, any final thoughts that you have, anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get in touch on, anything you want to promote, anything that you want to say, the floor is yours. Well, okay. I'll say this, Spike. I appreciate what you and Matt do, really do. Thank because you. young people, you young people, you have my heart. I don't have any kids. I don't. I'm, I don't have I'm children. Almost, I'm almost forty. Um, yeah. Well, you're. you're yeah. Yeah. And I'm sixty-one. Okay, I'm old enough to be your dad. Fair so, enough. Fair uh, enough. So, so, uh, but you do. You guys have my heart because with if I can do one thing uh, with the rest of my time on earth and being a libertarian and that's helping young people to become self-empowered to uh 
take responsibility for their lives, if they believe in government, that to run for office. Because I'm going to tell you, Spike, not a single solitary one of the legislators in Washington, D.C. will vote to end Social Security. They won't. No. No. They don't care about, you know, and, and, and anybody that's working has to pay into that. And, you know, odds are they'll never collect a dime of it. You know, if somebody, even people your age will probably never collect a dime of it. No, I, yeah, So, you know, and let you decide what you can do with your money for yourself, you know? Yep. And, and, and then, that, and, that, and that's what I believe in, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just an old fart who, uh, who cares about young people who cares about them um, uh, being empowered, having a voice, and raising that voice, and uh, accomplishing what it is they want that's best for them. And uh, I think libertarian principles, um, whether it's in the party or whether it's, you know, living an an existence outside of that, being a, a pure anarchist, you know, uh, living outside of that, if that's what you want, as long as you're not hurting anybody, go for it, you know? Very good, very good. Tom, thank you so much. Uh, it's an absolute blast. I, I hope I can have you on again soon someday. Oh, anytime, anytime, Spot. Yeah, it's, it's, it is great. You, I tell people, you're like my my uh, libertarian uh, second father that I've never met. Uh, so I, I really do appreciate it. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this episode of My Fellow Americans. Uh, be sure to check out uh, check out Money Waters Media tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, check out Matt on the Writer's Block. He's going to have uh, Joshua Smith on his show. He is the current uh, at-large representative for the Libertarian mm-hmm. Party. Is that correct? Yep, <laughs> that's right. Forget uh, And he's also running for the chair of the California Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. And then uh, have a great weekend. And then check us out uh, again uh, next Tuesday on the Muddied Waters of Freedom. Uh, where Matt and I will be talking about all of the things that have happened in the past week. There's already been a ton of things that have happened even just since yesterday, so it's going to be a, uh, obviously a, a action-packed show. Um, so, yeah, check us out uh, tomorrow on Matt's show, or check Matt out tomorrow on his show with Joshua Smith. Uh, check us out on Tuesday, and then uh, I will see you again next week. Uh, thank you again for joining us, and God bless you.
crimes But it keeps to the minds like mine Sometimes darkness is all I find You know what they say about an eye for an eye In a time with the blind leads the blind Who am I to deny I would cry when a loved one dies I recognize that body outside Full of holes in the body that was alive Now they find with a chalk outline Find out how but you never know why It ain't even make it to the news at night It ain't even make it to the news at night That's why sister, mother, father, brother, son That's one of mine All these tears I close my eyes Open up to only find I'm in line There's no 